Scripture is coming from John chapter 19, starting in verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the King of the Jews. The Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and my clothing And for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her, to his own home. Here ends the reading of God's word. I'm preaching through Lent on the seven last sayings of Jesus. These are not the last sayings Jesus ever spoke, but they are the seven sayings that Jesus said from the cross. If you've heard these words before, you probably heard them on Good Friday. A lot of times Good Friday, this is the the topic of the service. But we're going to spend a week on each of them and try to dive down into not just why Jesus said these words, but what are the meaning behind them. Last week, I thought I laid out three really important parts to think about, things to think about when we're dealing with these passages. Number one, the gospel writers are selective about what they put into the writing. Jesus does all kinds of stuff, and he says all kinds of stuff. And the, uh, the gospel writers are not biographers. They're making a case. They're saying things about Jesus. And so they, they select the words that they put in. And so you need to understand whenever we read the gospels that the words are in there for a certain reason. And in this case, the fact that these words come to us from John are going to be really important for how we understand this passage. Second, you need to understand that these words are spoken from the cross where Jesus is dying of suffocation, okay? He's losing the ability to breathe uh, as his strength is weakening. He can't lift his ribs up to let his lungs fill with air. So whatever Jesus says from the cross, he's laboring to say, okay? He's dehydrated. He's been through a whole lot in the last 24 hours. And now if he takes the time to breathe something out, it's important, Last thing I think is important to say is that it's not likely that Jesus was, was crucified on a big cross like this. It's just very inefficient to, to crucify someone up there. Um, he was probably crucified on a hill outside the city, 
but probably on a pretty low cross. And so Jesus doesn't have to cry out his words. In fact, in the Gospels, he does cry out his final words, but, uh, but he doesn't have to cry them out. He probably has to struggle to cry them out. He probably just has to speak them and whisper to those nearby. I think that gives a different sense when we say that Mary, his mother, is near him, is next to the cross. She's not back away from a large cross. She's probably right there near her son. Now, let me say a couple of things about these words in particular. First of all, we we tend to balk whenever we hear Jesus call his mother woman, right? See, it sounds kind of rude. If I called my mother or my wife woman, it would be a bad thing, right? Uh, we, don't, we don't call, we don't, that's not how we speak. But, but that term is not a derogatory or a rude term of Jesus' day. In fact, he uses it not only of his mother, but he uses it of the woman of the well and a number of the women he interacts with. Think of it more like ma'am or something than woman the way we would, you know. When, when he, it's not like he's saying, woman, fetch me a sandwich. It's not this derogatory, downward speaking kind of moment. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a term they would use, so you got to understand that, Okay. Uh, Jesus, in fact, has very good relationships with women uh, in his ministry. And it seems especially with women named Mary, right? He got three Marys standing there. Mary's a family name, right? So Mary and, and her sister, probably her sister-in-law. Um, but uh, you, got, you got multiple Marys there. Jesus has good relationships with women. So let's just understand that saying woman is not the derogatory term we would read. Let's also be clear that this disciple he's speaking to, the disciple whom Jesus loved in the Gospel of John, is John. Okay, We know that from some of the instances where John says it that way, and we know from other Gospels it's John that's the person he's talking to. Uh, That would be very common for people to do as sort of humbling, uh, a a mode of humbleness, right? To just say, to not name themselves in the book. That was a very good Greek thing to do. So this is definitely John, John the son of Zebedee. He has a brother named James who's also a disciple. Uh, he's, he's one of the youngest disciples, um, and uh, he's very favored by Jesus. Jesus has a close relationship with a couple of the disciples, and particularly uh, John. It's kind of a younger brother almost seems to, to be to Jesus. Uh, and so that's who we're talking about. In fact, John is probably the only disciple to die of old age. Uh, Most of the other disciples are killed for their faith, but it seems that um, John dies of old age. Now, let's get to the words themselves. At its most basic level, this saying of Jesus is not hard to understand. Jesus is trying to take care of his mother. But you need to understand the history between them to really grasp the importance of this moment. You can imagine that it was not easy to be the mother of Jesus. Okay, let's just recap. Mary is pregnant as a virgin before she's married. But the community would not have believed that story. She goes through all of this to have the baby. She has to travel pregnant to another town for the census. Then she's got to flee to protect her child to Egypt for a number of years. Then the earliest interaction we have with them is in Luke 2. Jesus is 12 years old. Mary and Joseph are traveling back from Jerusalem. They think Jesus is traveling with the family. Um, And uh, instead, they find out Jesus is not with the family. They search for three days to find the little 12-year-old Jesus. 
And they finally find him back at the temple in Jerusalem. And what does he say? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Must have been strange to be the mother of Jesus, right? How do you explain that one? Uh, He later does listen to his mother in saving the party at the wedding of Cana. We know from John chapter 6 that Jesus' brothers do not believe. Um, We also see this incident in Mark 3. Mark 3, starting in verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called out to him. And the crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. So get, get the thing. Jesus is teaching in a house. His mother and his brothers are outside, but they can't get in. So they send word to Jesus saying, hey, come on out. Let's talk. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Harsh words. Jesus also said these things in Luke chapter 14. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Harsh words. Those words have never been cross-stitched on a pillow or put on a poster in somebody's wall, right? These are hard words. Imagine being Mary and trying to understand who your son is. How he says these words about you. This awkwardness of being his mother. Imagine what the community would have said. They would have assumed him to be an illegitimate child. He also leaves her at the age of 30 to go about this ministry. Okay, as the eldest son, okay, and he has other brothers, but he's the eldest. Okay, as the eldest son, it's his responsibility to take care of the mother. So for him to leave to do this ministry would not have been received well in, uh, in that time and in that community. Okay, this is not, it, it, this is a, a troubling relationship, right? That Mary is his mother, and yet at the same time, she is part of what's going on in this larger story. And i got to imagine it was pretty hard for Mary. Pretty hard for Mary to accept these words. Pretty hard for Mary to understand what's going on in the life of her son. Now play the movie out. Here is Mary doing what no mother should have to do. Watching her child, her eldest, suffer like this. Her son has been arrested, falsely accused, beaten, and whipped. Was she in the crowd as they yelled, crucify him? Was she standing next to someone who asked for Barabbas instead of him? Was she next to someone? Did she follow as Jesus stumbled carrying that cross back? We don't know when she joined him, but we know standing near him at the cross, she's there with some some close people. To support her in this time of difficulty. And now Jesus looks down at Mary. And has great compassion. Great compassion. He's got to understand how difficult this has been for her. He's got to understand how hard it is for her to watch him on the cross. And so he ensures her long-term care. 
And he says, Here, here's your son. Here's John. He's going to take care of you. John, here's, here's your own. Here's, here's the one you're going to take care of. And he sets up Mary, who's had such a difficult and brave uh, part to play in this whole adventure. He takes care of her. We as Protestants get nervous when we talk about Mary, right? Okay, it's like built into the Protestant thing. We don't want to pray to Mary. We want to keep our distance from Mary. But she's really an amazingly brave and faithful hero in the story. And here we have this moment of Jesus looking down with compassion and taking care of her. And for the rest of her life, John cared for her. And John took care of her. This is a great moment of compassion and reconciliation. But we must also consider that these words come to us from the Gospel of John. And John, of all the Gospels, of all the Gospels, John has the most metaphor and it has the most theology. In John, what's happening in the story is never just what's happening in the story. There's always a deeper meaning with John. And of course, this story would have meant a lot to John. He's the one that takes care of Mary from then on. And maybe he's writing this to justify why he is so close to the mother of Jesus and the responsibility that he had. But John is theological and he is symbolic. For instance, John does not give us a birth narrative, a Christmas story. Whenever you read Christmas stories, they're from Matthew or from Luke. Because John doesn't give you one. John talks about in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He gives us a symbolic birth story. That's John. So when we look at this moment from the cross and we realize it's in John, I think we need to understand that there's got to be something more, something symbolic going on there. One hint, I think, for this is that there's something interesting going on in the Greek in this passage. Okay, I read this passage and it said, it ended, and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. His own home. But if you look that up in the Greek, and most of you aren't going to look that up in the Greek, what you'll find is that the word home is not there. There's no word home in that verse at all. What the verse says is, he took her into his own. That's where it stops. Into his own. That she's his. Not just his home, but his mother, his sister, his responsibility. It's not just a matter of taking her into his home. He takes her as his own. At times in church history, Mary has been called the second Eve. She is the mother of the new humanity born in Jesus Christ. But I was reading this week by a Catholic priest named Rainiero uh, Cantalamessa. Who he, he pointed out something very interesting. That actually, if Mary has, has parallels to anybody else in the Bible, it's probably Abraham. Probably Abraham. Let's think this through. Abraham is called to leave his father's house and go to a new land. Mary is called to have a child and ends up having to go to Bethlehem for a census and then to Egypt with her son. Abraham has a response to God in faith, just as Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Abraham has a son miraculously when he and his wife are too old to get pregnant. Yet Mary has a son before even the possibility of pregnancy while she's still a virgin. Abraham's son is promised to be the first of a new nation and kings of peoples 
will come from Abraham's wife Sarah. Mary is promised that Jesus will be a great, will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Isn't it kind of a neat parallel? Abraham, this father of the nation who gets this child miraculously, and Mary, who is the mother of this new people, who gets this child miraculously. But now from the cross, we see a significant distinction between Mary and Abraham. Abraham's son is spared. Do you remember the story? Abraham's supposed to go sacrifice his son Isaac. He goes up on the mountain, and just as he's about to do this, um, God provides a ram and stops him. And so he does not have to sacrifice his son. But Mary's son is not spared. Mary's son is the ram that's provided for all of us. And she, on the, now on the cross, is witnessing her son being sacrificed. And because of the sacrifice, there's a new covenant written in the blood. A covenant that is bigger than Abraham's covenant for a chosen people. Yes, Jesus is taking care of his mother in this moment. But, but something much bigger is going on. There's a new covenant for all of us. There's a new relationship for all of us. A new nation and a new people is being born. Author Dante, who, who um, um, has written a number of things, an older author, but he called Mary, listen to this, I love the phrase, virgin mother... Daughter of thy son. Virgin mother, daughter of thy son. There is this interesting thing where Mary is in this moment, not just the mother of Jesus, but she's also the daughter of Jesus. She's also brought into this new community where she's not her own anymore. She is now the own. She is now brought into the fold of these people. And John stands as an example of this. Mary is being, not just being taken care of, she is becoming a follower and a child of Jesus and part of this community. And this is a big thing that Paul writes about. In Galatians 3, he talks about, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. That means the law. For in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in this very moment, we are a new people. The old lines that divided us about what we believe, about what we look like, about what we think about things, those lines fade to the back because our identity is now, our self is now, our, our purpose is now found in who we are in Christ. This is the same kind of call that Abraham has for the people of Israel. That this is our Exodus moment. This is our Abraham moment. And Mary stands as a symbol for that. That she is now Christ's own and she is now John's own. And perhaps the greatest irony is that the whole incident happens with a sign above Jesus' head that says he was the king of the Jews. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the world. 
He is bringing a new community, a new nation, and a new people. The lines are changing and distinctions are fading. And this is great news for you and me. Okay? Because a lot of us uh, have lost our parents, lost our grandparents. A lot of us didn't have very good relationships with our families. Uh, A lot of us maybe never knew our parents or one of our parents. We've had struggles in this world. We've had loss. We've had grief. We've had separation from the people that we love. And yet here's Jesus in this moment. Not just saying to Mary and to John, but saying to us. Behold, you're my children now. Behold, you are one another's. Jesus takes you as his own. No matter what you have done, how difficult your life has been, you're a son or a daughter and you have found a family here. You're Christ's. And because we are Christ's own, and this is really important, because we are Christ's own, now we are one another's own. Now we are together in this. Now we are family. There's no more your life all by itself. We take on one another's burdens and needs. We're one another's brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, children, grandchildren. We are the family, the church, the faith, the followers of the way. So in the same way that Jesus looks down the cross and says, Mary, behold your son and behold your mother. I call on you today and I say, behold, your savior, behold, your father. And I encourage you to look to your right and look to your left and look behind you and look in front of you because behold, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your grandmothers, your grandchildren. This is your family. And I encourage you to look at the world the same way. That the people you're frustrated with and the people you're angry at and the people you're, you don't have a solid relationship with, your brothers, your sisters, your mothers. That's part of the healing that Jesus does on the cross and there is great healing for us. Behold, your brothers, your sisters, your parents. These are your family. They are your own. Care for them in such a way. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the cross. By your death, you have given us life. Speak to us through these words, that we would understand that we are your own, that we would understand that we are each other's own. Thank you for your care of Mary and your care of us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.